Hello and welcome to another wonderful, extra special, extracurricular episode of Normandy FM Dragon Age 2 edition, Thetis. We had a really good name for this one time, Ken. I, Eric Van Allen, once had a very good name for this Kenneth Shepard, and we completely lost it somewhere along the way. It was like a really good pun that I said I was going to use, and I know you're playing dumb right now because you don't Mm -hmm. want me to say it, Ken. Mm -hmm. You don't want me to say the pun. Right. (laughs) But I will remember one day. Until then, we do have Caitlin Galiz Rowe here on the podcast. So wonderful to have you back, Caitlin. How are you doing? Hello. Thank you for having me back. It is good to be here. We are so happy to have you on because today we are talking about a piece of Dragon Age 2 that for once, one of the people in the room, this is their first time experiencing it because I am dumb and never played DLC for any (laughs) Dragon Age game until Trespasser. Um, I have never played Dragon Age 2 Legacy and we are knocking that out, which, so here's one thing I want to pose to y'all before we get into the 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 nitty-gritty of this i playing this dlc i could not pin down where in the timeline this is supposed to like canonically take place Mm. because i believe it's post act one but pre act three okay that makes that makes a little bit more sense because i was trying to figure out whether it was supposed to be a post act three thing because I will, I will just say at the outset. So the, the setup of legacy is that we, for some reason, the Hawks of, of Kirkwall have been getting assassin assassination attempts from carded dwarves. And we're just kind of getting like raided and attacked by random packs of carded dwarves, just trying to murder us in our sleep, I guess. Uh, we get told all this through expositional dialogue as we're walking up to this hideout where we believe them to be uh, stashed away. But if you bring, you are able to bring your sibling on this DLC, which is kind of the first hint that this is going to be about the Hawk family in some way. But when I was talking to Bethany, my sibling, I couldn't, she was like, oh yeah, I'm in the circle now. Haha, ha, they let me out this one time to go do this random quest with y'all. Isn't that nice? And I was just kind of like, right now back in Kirkwall, there's like bad shit going down <laughs> between like the Templars and the mages. What do you mean they just like open the door and let you walk out <laughs> and go out venturing outside Kirkwall for this? So I was almost playing it and thinking like, is this supposed to be taking place before they even go on the deep roads expedition before any of that stuff happens or is this supposed to be sometime in the middle of act two or act three it feels like it's in this very weird place chronologically in terms of where everything fits and i don't know if that like if y'all felt that when you played it in terms of it it feels like it's tacked on as a dlc like it's this extra Mm. thing that they had to try and like shove in there but that's what it felt like to me i don't think it neatly fits any one place um and i think to its credit like it does kind of go out of its way to make it fit just about anywhere but then like you'll see like one little wrinkle that is like that seems kind of flimsy compared to like you know the other thing that you would have gotten if you played it a different act where like like you said if you played it before act two naturally carver or bethany could be there and it would be an issue where i mean you know for me carver's there and he's a templar so like he doesn't really have any reason to not be allowed to go do things so like the sort of friction is not there but 
Yeah, I generally if I've ever played it, it was near the end because I, you know, I played through the game originally, and then the DLC came out after the fact, so I just kind of had to play it where I was able. So mm-hmm. I've kind of seen it placed in different areas. I just kind of figured that, considering where it goes, it would probably be best for us to have it kind of later in the Dragon Age Two season. So when we get to things in future games, we it won't have been so long since then, and we can kind of more like vividly see the direction things are going. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely yeah. feels like a post situation to me. Yeah, I think like I was I was reading the wiki before I came on um with y'all and I think like I think the wiki theorizes that it's supposed to be an act 2 but mm-hmm. yeah, it's really just kind of like eh, it's definitely after whatever happens to your sibling. Right. Um but I do think it also makes a lot more sense if your sibling is a great warden. Um, the circle results for either of them do also strike me as very weird, but if Bethany or Carver is a great warden, it makes, like, a lot more sense, especially, like, with the stuff you find out about Malcolm. Mm. That's, that's a point I hadn't thought of. I didn't know that you could bring the great, like, if the sibling is a great warden, you could also bring them on this quest. Yeah, that's, like, the, that was, like, low-key the marketing for this DLC was, like, your, your sibling will come back no matter what, as long as they're not dead. As long as you didn't kill them, you monster. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's a really interesting... So I will say, as we get into this, I like this DLC. Uh, mm. This is probably the most I have enjoyed a piece of Dragon Age DLC that we have played thus far. Because as as cool as Witch Hunt was, ultimately, it felt like a really long DLC that just led up to one cutscene that they had to just kind of get in there to be like, okay, this is, this is why Morgan's important. This is why Morgan's going to be in more games. And in some, to some effect, especially if we were playing this after we finished Dragon Age 2, this feels like the witch hunt of uh, Dragon Age 2, or even the trespasser of Dragon mm-hmm. Age 2. Obviously we have the benefit of hindsight of knowing that this is setting up something major for the Dragon Age universe, but it's also this DLC that ends up kind of expanding the greater lore of the Dragon Age universe, like pulling the lens back a bit and contextualizing Hawk as Hawk relates to the world of Thetis and not just the world of Kirkwall. And I was kind of worried going into it that I wasn't going to like it for that reason, because as I've said many times, I like the Dragon Age 2 as a story about Kirkwall. I like that it's a story about how this city changes and how that is like a microcosm of all the issues in Thetis, but you get to see it through the lens of Kirkwall. But thankfully I feel like it didn't, it did leave that boundary a little bit, but it did not like, did not go swinging for the fences in the way that I was worried it would with some of the Corypheus stuff as it goes Mm. on. Um, So, oh, we can talk about it when we get there. We can talk about it when we get there. So, my thing is, honestly, I really wish that Legacy had been treated as the Awakening to 2 instead of the Mm. Trespasser. Because, like, it's so fucking ridiculous to me that they were like, you know who's going to be the bad guy of Inquisition? This bad guy of this DLC that no one played. Um, that'll be great. And it's like, y'all, like you, 
that's like my main issue with Inquisition is so much of the context is buried in like side homework that like a lot of people didn't fucking do. Um, and like if they had taken Legacy and like really fleshed it out and like also given more time to show like what happened in the books, like, you know, giving us flashes of like what was happening in RLA and what happened with um, Reese and Cole and like. You know, just, like, getting all of that shit, like, into a canon expansion as opposed to just being, like, here's a DLC, here's two different books, here's a comic. Like, I know we have this problem with Kingdom Hearts, but honestly, Dragon Age is, like, low-key worse um, with this shit. And it's just frustrating because they could have, like, if they had had that set up again, I feel like they could have developed it more as opposed to it being this, like, weird slap together thing especially because i agree with eric that like it connects hawk to the greater world in a way that i think is actually like interesting even though it is kind of like the oh you were special because your dad was special but like Mm -hmm. it's still like i don't know it's interesting that they're like yeah malcolm kind of did some fucked up stuff Mm -hmm. um and like that being hawk's relationship to the world is like very interesting especially in the context of inquisition Mm. i think for me just kind of like my overarching thought before we get into the meat of it. I loved Legacy when it came out. I have realized it was very emblematic of my biggest issue with the series in a way that makes me a little bit, tiny bit, maybe resentful of the character of the Inquisitor in a way that I am going to be resentful of whoever is the protagonist of Dragon Age 4. But we'll get to that. We'll put a pin in that. I'm interested to hear how that develops, but uh, yeah. So let's talk about legacy because really, there's kind of there's there's things going on here uh, that don't really surface until it weighs into the DLC. Because a lot of I mean, usually we go beat for beat on this podcast, but the whole thing is you kind of get this intro where Varric is kind of giving you. Like, giving Hawk, but really just giving, you know, Cassandra and, by extension, the player this rundown of, hey, here's why we're heading to this fortress to go kill some people. Um, and Hawk's like, thank you for telling me the things that I already knew. That was really helpful, Varric. Uh, but it does kind of emphasize, I feel, early on, um, and, and especially as, th- as this DLC goes on, that having certain party members is important for this DLC in terms of just having some interesting scenes play out, some interesting context to, to shed light on both the characters themselves and like the world at large. Uh, to that end, I felt like having the sibling here was very important and having, having Anders was also very important for reasons that we will get to in the second half of the DLC. But um, this whole first half is really just killing a lot of dwarves. <laughs> like mm. just... The entire yeah. Carta. I feel like we have destroyed the entire Carta by now. There should not be a Carta anymore after the amount of times. Yeah, literally every Dragon Age them. game is like, exterminate the Carta! And they just <laughs> never die. It's it's like the Carta, the Darkspawn, and then, for some reason, a disturbing number of like the Mabari Warhounds. <laughs> and those spiders, those giant spiders always show up everywhere. I hate the spiders. There's a lot of spiders. There's some big spidey time. We we got into the caves in this section, and I was just playing it, and I was like, okay, cool, deep stalkers. I remember these little velociraptor assholes. What's up, guys? How you doing? And then all of a sudden, some spiders came down, and I was like, no, not again. 
Um, Eric started having war flashbacks. Seriously, I was remembering the giant spider that you can fight in that first part of Dragon Age 2. I was like, not again. (laughs) Um, But after we fight through just a frankly silly amount of Karta enemies, and we slowly learn that they are kind of being driven, let's say, by uh, something called Corypheus. I mean, we just... I'm, I'm literally... I'm scrolling through the wiki following all the things that are going on, and it's just killing so many... So many... It's so much dwarf murder. <laughs> yeah, and then we, we get... After we kill so, so many people, we get to Radigan. Radigan? Radigan? I don't know. Another dude that's gonna die. We kill him and his pet Bronto. But he he gives us that final bit of, oh, Corypheus is, is compelling us. We are doing this in the name of Corypheus. Uh, and then we run into Larius. Our boy Larius. Larius. It's, look, it's Larius. Okay. Larry is us, to... Ken. We've been <laughs> over this. <laughs> We've talked about this before the podcast <laughs> We established this before we went live. You know, you know the show This Is Us? The us was Larry. The Larry is us. Larius <laughs> 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 is there. Uh, and he's just they... a creepy little man. Look, you know, he's just be he's been hanging out. You know, he's been quarantining inside like all safe Grey Wardens should <laughs> to not spread the taint. And... He's just a little goofy. It's been a while. He hasn't had he hasn't had friends over. You know he's still clean enough. There's kind of dark spawn everywhere. So, give give Larius a break. You know it's hard. He's he's having a hard time. Uh, yeah. We meet we meet Larius, who's just uh as as we know obviously from understanding dark uh Dragon Age Lord and dark spawn stuff. Uh, he is a Grey Warden who went to his calling and kind of never did the part where they die so he's just kind of been down here gradually succumbing to the dark spawn taint uh so much so the dark spawn don't recognize that he's there like yeah they think he's one of them yeah well and you can tell he's like he's starting to show the signs of like when people kind of start to lose their like logic and they're like Mm. uh, what's the i don't know what the word i'm looking for but you know like they're like hair yeah before they lose their hair (laughs) <laughs> a lot of missing hair. Is there is a lot of missing hair. But yeah, they kind of lose like their like focus and shit, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And they, I kind of don't like this part just because like they do kind of frame like the taint as like when it starts taking over, it, it's like a kind of like a madness thing. And like they kind of use that to frame him as being possibly untrustworthy for the later yeah. decision. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't love that. Yeah. Yeah, they, hmm. We will address that in a moment. Uh, We do, I did skip over one thing, which is that as we're doing this, we're coming across all these prisons with various demons in them. Uh, And as we unlock and kill the demons inside, we find that the voice of Malcolm Hawk, who is Hawk's father, is kind of present around these dungeons in a way that makes us think that maybe uh, Malcolm Hawk was down here. Maybe he was doing some stuff down here. Um... But we do run into Larias, and we, and we keep going along, and we find the first seal. Uh, and at this point, so uh, we have already acquired this thing called the key, uh, which is kind of this, depending on what class you are, it's a goofy-looking, weird weapon 
that also doubles as like a quest item for all of Legacy. I it's, mean, it's a Dragon kinda... Age Keyblade. Yeah, it's a Keyblade. Um, the Rogue one looks really goofy in a way that I, I really enjoy because it's kind of this big curvy dagger that just does not look right. I mean, it looks kind of, it looks like the the sickle and like a communist flag. It looks like a sickle. So, um, Comrade Hawk is here to to unlock the seals and move on. Ken, yours was a, a staff, right? Yeah. yeah. What did what did yours look like? Did you get like a cool like sickle situation as well, or? Uh, do you remember? Let me make sure I make make sure that I've got this right. Okay, you remember like the line of bop it stuff from like the nineties? You got a bop it? No, I got a top it. A twist it? What? Pull it? It's called top it, right? Like it's got Ow! the thing. Yeah, it's got the. <laughs> <laughs> looks like this thing. You know, it looks it here in the, it in the Discord chat, which is great for an audio podcast. I'm gonna post it on the Twitter account as well. We should make it. We should make it the thumbnail for the episode. A top it. This is my favorite kind of game. Oh, oh, it's like a, it's like a Kadama. Yeah. Okay. Why don't you just call but, it a Kadama? I know what a Kadama is. I didn't. Okay. Well, <laughs> Ken, you need to play the video game Tales of Symphonia. And then I did. I just couldn't remember that was what thing was called. Freaking Genus was my boy. Yo, he's, he's, he's a good mage. We respect yep. him in this house. Um... So so, what did you do with your sick Kadama when you got to the seal and you took out the guardian? What did oh, you good do lord! With I forgot Kadama? that like you can. There are all those different seals where like, you kind of yeah, like, you can it. fucking customize it, dog. Yeah, you can. You can make choices, and here's why I bring this up. So at this, at this point, uh, we we are told by Lorias that we're kind of stuck down here. There are seals uh, all around the place that let things in do not let them out and the only way through is to go through the heart of the the building you know very typical fantasy thing you know we got to fight through the evil to get out uh got to go deeper into the depths to find an escape uh and while we're doing this he keeps telling us about corypheus uh and all these seals that have been placed to keep corypheus in check so this first seal that we get there is an option where this happens for three different seals throughout the DLC where you can choose from one of four things to add to your key to empower it. And I think the first one is like elemental damage and the second one the second one is like all different status effects, I think, or maybe stats. I know one of them was attack speed. And then the third one is like different on hit effects or chances to do things. Ken mm-hmm. found out about an exploit. Where uh, mm-hmm. if you set all your party members to stand still in front of each one, and then you pause the game, and you tell them all to interact oh. with the pillars, and then unpause, mm. you will get all four of them. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get huh. it right on the first one, so I only got like one of the elemental things, but the other two, I got all of them, baby. I've got so a you have no reason to out... change weapons ever again. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I've got a, I've got a tricked out hot key. It's great. It does. Yeah, like, so the key much does stuff. fuck pretty hard, even key without does. Eric's explain. <laughs> Look, with that though, good lord. I mean, it was like percent to stun, critical hit percent, like drain health, drain stamina, just drain existence from from enemies. 
Uh, it's great. I will never use another weapon. And it also looks really big and dumb too, which I'm a big fan of. So uh, yeah, no, I'm all about that. This is the big dumb blade. I was so bummed. All the rogue blades look terrible. They're just like little daggers or like really big daggers, but they still look like daggers. And this one looks really big and dumb and stupid like a key blade. And so I want to use it all the time. <laughs> More keyblades in Dragon Age. More keyblades in video games. <laughs> um, but one other thing I wanted to bring up as we kind of go through this area as we're talking to Lorias and stuff is that we start to actually see some versions of Darkspawn that are... They are ostensibly Darkspawn that we fought in Origins, but they are, like, upgraded Darkspawn. Mm -hmm. And the one that particularly grinded my gears was that freaking Genlock Alpha, man. <laughs> The one with the big old shield thing that just, like, walks at you. That dude. Mm -hmm. There is a specific part in this DLC where you are on a narrow walkway, and then he just comes bum-rushing you out from this corner, and, like, I think he almost decked Anders off the side of a rampart. <laughs> like, I thought it was a... I, I was playing that, and I was like, somebody, somewhere played dark souls and was like what if we put that kind of bullshit in dragon age 2 and that is what spawned that exact moment and that person is a very very mean person i don't like them because it was terrible uh but everything else i like that there's that they changed up the way that the dark spawn look and the way they fight because i was really worried going into this as like okay we're just gonna fight more hordes of Genlocks and Herlocks, you know, the thing that we've been fighting forever in this series, and they managed to make them look a little different and fight a little different in, in a way that at least kept things interesting. Um, I'm not going to lie to get through this DLC faster, both because I had a time crunch and because some of these fights are really, really hard, not like they were wiping me, but they just take a really long time to get through, that I kind of bumped the difficulty down about halfway through. I was like, I'm just mm. going to cruise through this thing and get through it. Um, especially Corypheus. <laughs> mm. But uh, as we keep going along, I mean, this... here's so, so here is the one thing I will say is that up until kind of what I would call the major... When the story actually starts happening in this DLC, it feels very Dragon Age Origins in that there's a lot of going through dungeons and doing dungeon crawling things and solving dungeon puzzles and finding codex entries and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. it, it feels like an origins mission for a very large portion of it. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it just I really am. reminded me of, <laughs> it just reminded me of how big the difference is between what Bioware is by the time inquisition comes around and, and even in, in Mass Effect, but, like, the way that they really streamlined so many of those missions into just what is core, what is essential, and letting the DLC breathe a bit. And I actually feel like Legacy is probably the good middle point there, where I felt like I had room to explore and was encouraged to explore, but there was still a very clear linear path that I could follow from one end to the other that felt like it had some level of urgency and pacing to it that didn't feel like i was kind of just walking through a dungeon that somebody had mapped out on grid paper but it had like a flow to it um yeah i don't know how did how did you all feel about kind of the structure of this dlc i guess we start with caitlin i think it's fine but i don't mind i'm the dragon age origins defender um <laughs> so 
that's that's where I stand. I think it's like I don't know. I like that it's the Dragon Age two combat with mm-hmm. like that setup. I guess um, I feel like it makes it flow a little bit better than in Origins. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's very like time to do a dungeon with my fantasy mm. pals and like eh, all right, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I agree that like that the sort of tweak they do to the darts one kind of elevated a little bit because I mean this is DLC this they are in theory supposed to be addressing you know some issues people have with the core game and we, we talked about several times on other episodes that a lot of the main Dragon Age games just waves of just throwing enemies at you like a numbers game of like see how many people they can throw at you once so like when you've got you know people like the Genlock Alpha that are kind of changed up in a way that make them more interesting to fight or and, like you have to like kind of uh, change up the strategy a little bit, it at least makes those encounters stick out more so than pretty much most of Dragon Age 2 proper, with the exception of, like, you know, more of the boss-tiered stuff that's going on. Um, as for structure, it feels... It meanders a little bit, which I'm not a huge fan of, and a lot of that just comes from, like, there's a lot of, you know... A lot of, like, dead weight, to at least, like, the beginning, or, like, the first half of it or so before you get to kind of where everything starts to ramp up. And that, because a lot of the, you know, the storytelling and stuff comes in just like over, like, you know, codex entries and, uh, you know, unlocking the seals. And so, like, not a lot happens mm-hmm. in, like, long stretches of the DLC, which is not, like, honestly, like, as we're kind of going through the, the episode, I'm having to scroll through and, like, make sure that I remember, like, I haven't missed where the actual, like, plot stuff actually happens. Just because there is such... There are so many long stretches of kind of nothing that happens. It really develops over time, and and the thing that I the reason why I bring that up is because it also does the origins thing of it feels like one large area that has a lot of different tiny quests interspersed throughout it. So like we're doing, you know, we have the Malcolm's Will one, which is as we gradually progress through it, we find all these different demons, and as we ultimately learn, um, Malcolm Hawk, our father was working with the wardens in some way to you know contain things down here in this prison likely had something to do with corypheus and when he finally completed his tasks that was when he was able to leave and he left kirkwall with leandra who was pregnant with the player character hawk at the time um and so you get like this cool little moment with your sibling where you kind of reflect on malcolm hawk and you you through talking with them get a little bit of exposition on who that who malcolm was as a father and how they related to the different hawks for me it was bethany was constantly talking about how uh the the mages in the circle keep remarking on how she's so well trained and it's so clear that she was taught to learn magic but Mm -hmm. um malcolm from the way that he talks and these little echoes that you have of him, it almost feels like he didn't want his child to have any magic. He was worried about the idea of his child having magic. Yeah. I was wondering if you had something on that, Ken. Yeah, because, like, when you are going through things, they kind of, you know, player Hawk kind of has, like, that moment of, like, oh, this, like, what I am is not what my father wanted me to be. And then Carver has, like, to deal with it, because I had Carver with me, because he's like, oh, I, like, not that he... I'm I don't want like, and I'm dead and I hate everything. Basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he has that he has Fuck that own like, Yeah, well that's yes, very much so. 
Because like, he just has to... When they're hearing the truth of what their father thought when they might have had a very skewed vision of what he thought about them, magic, and just like, you know, the premise of, their ch- of his children having magic. And it doesn't really... And, like, I guess I was kind of maybe hoping that it would be an opportunity to kind of smooth their relationship over, but it doesn't really feel like anything is going to satisfy a certain sibling of the Hawks, so, like, whatever, I guess. Man, Bethany is so much cooler than Carter. Bethany <laughs> fucking rules. I love her. She's the best. I wish God. Bethany had gotten a comic, honestly. Wait, did the other sibling get a comic? I don't think so, but no, I just mean oh, okay. in general. I just want oh, a, a okay. Bethany comic. Like, I want to see her dealing with the Grey Warden shit. Because, like, honestly, between Legacy and, like, and Dragon Age 2, like, anytime you have a conversation with Bethany about, like, being a Grey Warden, it does so much to show, like, the Grey Warden situation is a lot more fucked up abroad than it was in Ferelden, and, like, you you didn't realize because ever, there was a crisis in Ferelden. Um uh. This makes me want to go replay it. The Grey Warden sibling, this sounds cool. Yeah, and it's just like, well, and just like, if you talk to, like, Dragon Age 2, in my head, canon for me, is like, your sibling is a Grey Warden, and it's Bethany, because fuck Carver. Um, (laughs) But like, yeah, there's just like, she talks about it so much, and she talks about like, how awful the nightmares are, and she talks about like, if she's not sure that it was worth it, um, and like, just how scary it is all the time. And then moving from that into, like, the legacy stuff with Corypheus and, like, the demons in the basement. Um, And then, like, what happens in Inquisition? It's like, hmm, there were connective threads. They were just weirdly buried. Mm -hmm. It's it's really interesting. Like, man, making me want to play a different version of this stuff now. Um... Yeah, like, it's, there's so much interesting stuff that I feel is, like, hidden just off the path in in Legacy, because there's also, like, Paragon's Heir, which is kind of just this little side quest that is just picking up things off the ground if you don't have Varric with you, but if you have Varric with you, uh, it involves finding, like, one of his dead ancestors and following the path that they took in throughout this prison that you're in and, and where they eventually fell. And there's like a really touching moment with Varric there that you get to where you kind of lay them to rest almost. And it's like, it's surprisingly human for Varric in a series that I feel so often relies on Varric to be this either like comic relief or just narrator character, but he gets to actually be a character for once and, and have like a moment of vulnerability and like introspection and, and stuff. And, there's there's so much little stuff that it does almost talk me into the idea of making legacy an awakening style thing that has a bit more substance to it and has a bit more weight to it yeah but then it would be as long as awakening and i'd have to say no (laughs) 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 um look i look there's only so many hours in the day (laughs) uh and I say that, and yet I'm sitting here and looking at footage of Baldur's Gate 3 and being like, yeah, I'm going to play that game. I'm gonna also, Eric, you have the rest person. of your life, my man. How long will that be, the way that things are going? I don't know, but you got however long it's going to be. I'm going to go out like I always knew I would. Play in Dragon Age. Games. 
on my bullshit. <laughs> he died as he lived on brand. Um, <laughs> putting on my tombstone. Uh, I was the the other thing that we have not talked about that goes along with all this side quest bullshit that's happening here, and I say bullshit because we're about to talk about the bullshit. They do some of those goofy ass puzzles again, where it's like light they, the torches or turn the whatever those things are like the turn the magic orb urns that shoot beams out of their cyclops cyclops holes and whatever it's like <laughs> cyclops holes i don't know what to call them <laughs> they got cyclops holes you mean an eye socket sure i i'm thinking of cyclops from like the x-men where he's got like the little beam thingy <laughs> oh that, i thought that, you meant like a cyclops visor. of like the fantasy Stop. No, that's just called an eye socket. I know that was why it was weird to me. I that's didn't know what you were hole. saying. It's <laughs> just an eye hole. <laughs> um, there's so many like I, I don't even want to call them throwback because I feel like even modern RPG developers do not make this stuff anymore. But just hey, do this turning thing and hit things until stuff works together and i'm sure there's logic to it i'm sure if i was a smarter person i might sit there and try to solve it but i am brave of heart and dumb of ass so i just sit there and i hit buttons until it works same (laughs) and then at the end i was like well that was dumb um unless you give me like a sudoku puzzle or something if if you make it very clear there's this long contrived puzzle that i can logic out then i will happily do it but if it's something where i can just turn things until they connect and do the thing that i wanted to do i'm just gonna hit buttons until it does it yeah (laughs) the only puzzles i can do are those ones where they're like this person was wearing a red jacket and they were sitting next to the person who arrived first and like oh i love those 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 are are the only ones i can do put more of those in games exactly like less Less of this uh, light puzzles to open a sarcophagus. Like, <laughs> sarcophagi don't work that way. That's not how it works. That's, that's not, not how dead people are. Exactly. How do I get that coffin where it only opens if you light a certain number of torches <laughs> that keep going on and off depending on other torches that you light? Ooh, I want that and then I want like a cereal box prize in there. <laughs> a little Cracker Jack thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a fortune. It's a fortune cookie. Fortune that's in there. Uh, oh God, this has already gone off the rails. Uh, so there, I guess we should talk about it real quick because we're about to get to the actual story of this DLC. There is an optional boss in this uh, in in Legacy. Um, it has something to do with Dubot which is the old god that Corypheus seems to really like. He stands Dumas. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> it's also, I'm trying to remember how you activate it. You get like the orb that Anders freaks out about. Um, I'm scrolling up in this wiki to remember exactly how to do it. Don't worry, I'm getting there. This is great podcast content. There's so much in this DLC that has nothing to do with anything lore-wise or story-wise. Um, Sometimes you just gotta vibe. Malvernus. That's his what. That's his name. Malvernus. Um, he's a badman. He's just kind of like an evil demon dude that turns into a dragon and stuff. And he's just kind of hanging out, doing evil stuff. 
Um, you ever just be evil? Yeah, like I. You ever just have extremely bad vibes for a century? There's some real like game ass game design going on in this <laughs> DLC where they were like, you know what would be awesome is if we had this secret boss that was like an evil mage who turned into a dragon. <laughs> And someone else was like, yeah, yeah, Gary, we've never put a dragon as a secret boss in these games. We should definitely do that. <laughs> I'm sorry, I do not mean to drag this so hard. But um, I mean, it's not very good, though. And I remember the fight being kind of cheap. It's, yeah, there's like different traps on, on different sides of the arena and stuff like that. But I think the thing that gets me is it doesn't really seem like it has anything to do with the story I or think with what's the, going on. I think the only argument that you could make for it is that it's supposed to be another indication that, like, the old gods and, like, the demons and stuff are, like, probably not what we've been led to believe. Mm-hmm. Just because, like, Corypheus has his whole, like, continuous thing of, like, we got there and it was already black, like, indicating that, like, the story that is told by the Chantry is maybe not true depending on if you believe him or not um oh, we're getting into that lore talk already we're getting yeah. into that lore talk <laughs> i'm a oh. fucking nerd dude so well malvernus okay i figured out i figured out what malvernus reminds me of it's when you play a kingdom hearts game and you find the secret boss and it's just some other hooded organization looking dude that you have no context <laughs> for who they are it's just like I am Malvernus, and you're sitting there like, who the fuck is Malvernus? <laughs> like, <laughs> you're like, whomst? Um, and and then you fight him, and you're and they're like, I'll find you again at the door of Heaven's Light, and you're like, I don't know what that is. And he's like, play <laughs> the next game. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> that's yeah. Malvernus. I don't think that I don't think it's good and I think even my reading is like probably a stretch I think they were probably just like this would be badass and like yeah it'll be we can kind of tie it in yo I play Kingdom Hearts and I play Dark Souls I got ideas for this DLC I got plans (laughs) man that dude had a weird weekend when he designed this um so now that we're actually at the story part of of this DLC um as we are approaching was that sorry 40 minutes in I know, right? Look, we're doing great so far. I just want to congratulate everyone on this podcast for just being consummate professionals. Uh, To quote Austin Walker, uh, five-star podcast, five-star runtime. Exactly. Um, So as as Lorias leads us on uh, towards where Corypheus ultimately rests, and he's kind of told us at this point that Corypheus is not there. really dark spawn but not really human and he's kind of going through all these different ways to describe what Corypheus is and we, you know what we do understand and I forgot to mention that I think by this point we would have had this scene happen is um, we can end up fighting Anders does that happen here does it happen after we talk to uh, the Grey Wardens I think it happens before we talk to the Grey Wardens um, I don't remember because I f- don't think I played it with Anders because fuck Anders, I had Bethany. <laughs> See, I had to bring Anders to have the Grey Warden perspective, so I had to listen to him being really angry this whole DLC and then suddenly change his mind at the end. But we'll get there, don't worry. <laughs> um, 
I'm really interested to hear Ken's thoughts on that, actually. Um, but Anders actually at one point is so overcome by the calling of Corypheus that he turns into Justice and we have to fight Anders slash Justice and kind of bring him back to his senses. Uh, which I was really worried because I was like, oh, do I actually murder, like, murder Anders in this DLC? Like, they just had a DLC where you could also kill Anders. Oh, would fun if really change to. Dragon Age 2. <laughs> that would be game of the year. That would be game of the century. <laughs> Suddenly there's, like, no end to Act 3. <laughs> just like, oh, whatever. It just didn't <laughs> like, happen. They, they all live happily ever not, after. Not to spoil things for what happens in Act 3, because I know there are people who play this stuff along with us. I'm trying not to spoil anything. But yes, Anders does have a very pivotal role to play at the end of Act 3. Um, it'd be really weird if he just kind of died here. <laughs> so... Um, but we, we understand that Corypheus is some sort of malevolent, malevolent being that is above your, your normal average darkspawn. And I think at some point Anders even brings up uh, that while he was in Amaranthine, there was an intelligent reasoning darkspawn that sounds pretty similar to what Corypheus is. So, Awakening, hey. baby! <laughs> um, so, as... as as we progress towards the tower, we run into some Grey Wardens, uh, Janaka and the crew, and they they explain that Malcolm Hawk created this seal around Corypheus, and Hawk blood is needed to open it. Uh, so we're like, oh hey, Dad was into blood magic. That's neat. That's fun. That's that's a cool little revelation. It's like it's literally just like hawk siblings tug collars aggressively. Like, (laughs) oh well, can't have a normal dad, I guess. (laughs) It's hard to find out. Suddenly, Meryl is like just really into you even more now. Mm -hmm. And and as uh, we then find out, not only was he way into blood magic, but Janaka here is also really into the idea of using some blood magic to try and not kill Corypheus like Lar- I almost called him Larius again <laughs> like Larius wants to do but uh, she's like oh we could totally control Corypheus with magic that you know that works out so well in the Dragon Age universe it's like totally totally cool don't worry um, which is kind of the start of one of my issues with the conflict that they try to establish in this DLC, which is kind of the choosing whether you want to side with Janaka or Larias, because the whole idea is really that you either it's, it's, it's almost like we're relitigating mass effect three all over again with like control or destroy. Uh, and we went over for so long for literally hours about how control just does not make sense and does not really work. And also like the main hubris of all of Bioware's stories is always somebody who's like, I can totally control this. Don't worry. Everything will go fine. I think the main thing with legacy is they're trying to make you really uncomfortable with the Lorias. Like mm. they, I think like, I don't like looking at it now. I agree with you that it's kind of like, why the fuck would you trust her? Right. But like when I remember, like when I originally watched it and played it, um, 
I feel like they lean pretty heavily into like, oh, what's up with this dude? He's, uh, he's, yeah. he's he didn't get, he didn't die during his calling. Like they, I feel like they really try to skeeve you out on him. So when she shows up and is like a normal gray warden, I think you're kind of supposed to be like, well, but yeah. yeah, I don't think it has aged super well. But it does also indicate what happens in Inquisition with the Grey Wardens, which is another thing that makes me mad because there's no context for why the fuck they would do that in Inquisition. Mm. Yeah. And it's because of people like this bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Ken, Mm. Ken, how did you feel about this kind of divide that they they put in front of you and the choice that you have to make between siding with Janaka or Larias? So I, like... For context of what everything I'm about to say, I ended up siding with Lorias just because, regardless of whether or not, like, I, like, the ethical dilemmas of trying to control, like, a living thing that's not really the thing that, like, my mind gets stuck on, it's more that, like, there was this darkspawn creature that has the power to call all of these Grey Wardens here, and all these darkspawn, and, you know, the, the Carta, and it was like, so you think that this... You think that you're trying to control this thing of your own free will? Like, you think that, like, this thing that has this ability to be inside your head doesn't have, like, some... It, not necessarily even a hold on you, but at least some kind of ability to influence you. It just... The whole thing seems like a really wild suggestion. And, that, like, that doesn't even... You know, everything we said about Jenica and Lorias aside, it just, like... This thing has powers that none of us are, like, none of us are, like, otherworldly, like, super-powered beings in this universe. Like, why would I trust this one fucking Grey Warden mage that just shows up and is like, oh, I, trust me, I, I am powerful enough to control this thing that your father had to seal away because we had no other option at the time. Hmm. Hmm. I like the certainty of killing him. It's just... Yeah kind of where i was at where you know even if they're trying to paint off this really really bad narrative of like oh this gray warden's lost his marbles can't trust him still his idea his best idea that he's pitching that he's pitching to me right now is you know janaka's over here like but what if we control it and we use blood magic and he's like what if we stab it and i'm like that's a good (laughs) pitch it's a good yeah (laughs) yeah like i said i think it's like again it's It's my problem with the series over and over again, where it's like they have these threads that so clearly go together, but they don't put them in a way that you can tie them. Because like when you think about like the thralls from Awakening, they do so much work in that game to make you feel uncomfortable with them and to make you feel like they're not trustworthy and that they're scary. Especially, like, if you see what happens to Valana's sister and that shit. Like, they are very much, like, a horror element of the game. And so, like, Lorias is supposed to be playing on that, but because it's so far after and because it's, like, supplemental and extra, like... Nobody's gonna fucking draw that conclusion unless you're just, like, obsessive about it like I am. And, like, that's ridiculous. That's a ridiculous expectation to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and mm, yeah, it's... It feels really weird to me, too, that they keep coming back to the control idea in general because I feel like if the pitch here had been from Janaka just to be like, hey, we don't understand enough about what the blight is... So killing 
this dark spawn that can think that can reason that can talk might you know might be worth more to us alive than dead like that alone is something that i could be like i could get on board with the idea that maybe we shouldn't just be stabbing and killing every dark spawn we see maybe if they are truly it's the same thing that like the reason why i ended up letting um I'm suddenly blanking on his name. The the, the architect. architect. Yes, the ar- I kept wanting to call him the Archon, and I was like, "That's not right." That's 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 a Mass Effect thing. <laughs> or that's Mass a different Effect. Dragon Age thing. Yeah. Um, no, th- that's the same way why I felt about the Architect. Like, hey, you know, this is clearly a thinking, reasoning being, and maybe the Darkspawn are more than we understand, and just outright stabbing them as often as we can isn't something we should do especially if they think they have a way of you know changing their nature and and breaking themselves free of the arch demons and and potentially becoming more than just kind of the thralls of the arch demons that's that's worth exploring and instead like you know janaka is leading me to it and i'm like cool cool i'm with it and then she's like and then we control him and turn him into a weapon and i'm like oh god dang it you're so close you had a really good idea um (laughs) Which I, I guess just kind of, again, like maybe speaks to why I like the Dragon Age universe a lot, but I just feel the way that it portrays its conflict sometimes. Uh, they have trouble... They I hate saying they have trouble showing both sides, but they really do have trouble showing that there can be two sides to the conflict. And creating something that is nuanced and understandable, and I feel like the one time they managed to do it was in act two of dragon age two with with the era shock where i was like yeah no the era shock's onto something this place kind of sucks we kind of need reform here um every, every other time it's been like you know even in act three where you have this very interesting dynamic they end up pulling some stuff to just kind of make it outright strange but we'll get to that when we get to that <laughs> um as as we proceed through, we end up doing some some puzzle BS depending on who we ended up uh, siding with, and in either way, we end up fighting some kind of boss, either some random dude named Kel Sarag with a bunch of mages and stuff, or or we fight like some golems. Uh, but we finally get to the final seal, which is where Corypheus is located and we confront the wardens who have sided with the warden that we did not side with now ken i'm assuming you sided with Lorias. Mm-hmm. yeah okay i did too that makes this easy so at this point i'm you know they do the big revelation that actually Lorias uh forced malcolm hawk to do blood magic uh and that they like took leandra captive and in, in order to force him to do that and that was kind of why you know obviously that contributed to why he wanted to get out of Kirkwall (laughs) Um, but we can then kind of choose to betray Lorias or still side with him I still sided with him because I was like look you know that was a long time ago and also like I still like his idea better than yours so I'm not going to really turn on him now like you like this dude at the side I still want his end goal here Mm mm-hmm uh, so we end up killing a lot of Grey Wardens, you know, is what it is. You know, Stop. those guys we have a lot of. Yeah, the one that we were really concerned about how many there were in Origins, but now we seem to be running into a lot of them the further these games go on. 
Um, either way, we then unleash some seal and uh, Corypheus awakes. And here we get to the good part. We get to talk about it. Corypheus. Um, this, the dude that will become the antagonist of a future video game in the Dragon Age universe. Um, if you didn't know that yet, I don't, I don't know how you don't, but it, it is what it is. Um, this is a really interesting character, and I liked it a lot because of who I had with me at the time, but also because I feel like the things that Corypheus talks about when he wakes up, he's very much talking about Tevinter and the Age of Dwarves and Dwarves... Um, holding human slaves and things like that. These are all concepts that are so far in the past that they felt like just the smallest footnotes of flavor text in little codex entries and stuff like that. And now we have a character here who is embodying that age of Dragon Age. And that was immediately really cool to me was that, oh, cool, this is an old character. Like a time capsule. <laughs> yeah, that like... I look I love RPGs but sometimes I get really frustrated when an RPG wants to just like shove codex entries at you to tell you about things and we talked about this in Origins with the Urn of the Sacred Ashes where you're doing that little puzzle that also teaches you about the past and and how Andraste's life came to be and the people around her and you learn different aspects of her personality through doing that puzzle where you kind of talk through all these different sections of her life and i was like that's a really cool way of teaching the player who this character was and demonstrating who that character was and what that time was without just sitting there and being like here's three walls of flavor text go read them um and corypheus is kind of that to me where it's like cool he is ostensibly a tevinter mage one of the tevinter mages who if we are to believe the ancient lore went to the golden city and defiled it and started all the darkspawn bullshit um yeah but according to him it was corrupt when they got there you know we went and we went to the golden city already corrupt when we got there my favorite thing is his like whole like kanye west thing where he's like listen we were going to do the thing they said we were going to do but fucking Stephen a voice but it was already done when we got there i can't believe caitlin just made the first a smith joke on this podcast and it wasn't me i i have to turn in my my sports card now i don't even know sports but it is important to understand Stephen a smith because that dude is i just he has an energy to him he, he has a level of just existence that I cannot begin to comprehend. Like, there's that tweet that I think Drew Madry posted ages ago. I know this is thrilling to everyone listening at home, but that that's preposterous. <laughs> Crab Rangoons, things of that nature. And every time I read it, I just hear it in Stephen A. Smith's voice. And only someone like Stephen A. Smith could have that, where I see something like that, and I'm like, I can hear it in his voice. That's something he would say. That dude just exists on a different plane um much like stephen a smith corypheus is existing on a different plane because he is a tevinter 
mage, uh, like basically a worshiper of the old god Dumas. And Anders is sitting here just being the most pretentious dick about it because he's just like, oh, well, that's what the Chantry wants you to believe. That's all propaganda and stuff like that. And Corypheus is like, is I like... went to the Golden City and did terrible things. He's like, you're lying. <laughs> I literally love that Anders is like mansplaining like this man's own life to him. <laughs> <laughs> Anders is like, "That's an Anders fucking move." This is propaganda. Kirby's is like, "Here's my slideshow of photos. This is me like t posing in front of the maker's throne." Like, Anders is like, "This is a Chantry psyop." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> mm. oh man, Anders. That's that's maybe the thing I enjoy the most about the ending of this DLC, which is, okay, we go through and we kick the ever-loving shit out of Corypheus because we don't want this dude hanging around. Clearly going to be bad news. And we, we fight one of... We'll talk about the boss fight in a second, but I love that Anders afterwards has this moment of like, huh, well, it's a Vinter Mage after all. How about that? And mm. I'm just standing there like, oh my god, I hate you so much. And you have this ability where you have like a dialogue choice where he's like, maybe I didn't know everything after all. And you can be like, oh no, Anders, it's okay. You know, you knew some things. Or you can just be like, yeah, maybe you're a dumbass. <laughs> and I slammed that dialogue choice so hard. It was like Anders rivalry plus five. And I was like, I do not care. You were like, good. Yeah. God, Anders. Okay, so this this boss fight with Caribius, Kim, we got to talk about it real quick. Mm. I don't know whether I really liked or really hated this Corypheus boss fight because it is we talked about video game ass video game design and I'm sure Caitlin can can speak to this as well from from their time playing it but like this is literally like I've got spitting fire wheels mm-hmm. and rock mm-hmm. mazes and frost orbs and I'm going to absorb the elements one by one <laughs> I'm just standing there like Oh my god, I've got to go through three repetitions of this, but at the same time... It's very silly. It's very silly, but at the same time, I'm like, this is the most I've had to think yet in this game, in terms of fighting a thing. (laughs) That is kind of where I fall on it, too, because, like, for all of, like, the, like I said, the video game, as video game-ness of it, it's still, like, a a standout fight in a game that doesn't have very many of those, like, maybe three that come into Mm -hmm. mind immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean... And it for for what the for the record like it was it's pretty tough too like I by the time I was done the only one character I had left was Carver because like I both myself and Anders the only people capable of reviving anybody uh, were out and I managed to make it work surprisingly enough because like at some point like and like actual like enemies come in too so like yeah there's like kinda, ads yeah mm-hmm. so I don't know like it was it's not. In the grand scheme of things, it's not particularly interesting of a fight, but it is, like, in a in a game that sets that bar very, very low. I dug it. I mean, when Yeah, I think, I think about... it's fun. It's just silly. Yeah. yeah. Like, you have electric rocks for some reason. I still don't know how that works. Like, it's at fine. one point... It's fine, point, Eric. Anders was like, the, the, the rocks, look out, they're electric. And I was like, what are you on, Anders? I looked over and there was, like, a rock shooting electricity at me. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> What's the conductor in that situation? <laughs> that makes no sense to me, but I'm staying away from it. I'm it's magic. 
worry about how it works later um yeah i so i had to restart it a few times and i'll tell you why it's a lesson i learned really quick um my entire party is full of dumbasses yeah and i figured out so as the way that the fire wheel rotates right you've got these two pillars of like cones of flame that are rotating around the arena and you're having to run around the arena and take out different pillars and kill the pillar guardians and then move on to the next one but corypheus has this flame wheel rotating that you can only really dodge if you're either running between the cones of flame or you get to like one of the outcroppings and you get all the way back like as far away as you can you can kind of avoid most of the fire damage i found out that if I tried to run out ahead of a flame cone, my party would follow slowly behind <laughs> me, and they would just kind of run in the fire cone and die. Just die. All three of them. Just the dumbest people I've ever seen, just running in fire and being like, look out, Hawk, there's fire pillars coming. <laughs> like, oh my god. Um, I don't even know what voice that was I just did. It was like a 1920s newsie. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's the dumbest. I had to restart it like twice because of that, and then finally at that point I was like, okay, so now I wait for the fire pillar to pass, and then I run behind that one instead of trying to run in front of another one because my party is literally too dumb to understand <laughs> that maybe they should either just stop and let the fire get past them, or they should run out of the fire and still follow me just with the fire between me and the party. They could not figure that much out. Um, God bless this game. I think the reason why it stuck out to me that specifically stuck out to me was because we talked so much in the first part of dragon age two about that fight where you fight the golem that shoots the lasers out and how the party members instantly ran behind the pillars when you did. Mm -hmm. And they were like very smart about that. And mm -hmm. so I was standing there. I was like, this is the same basic concept. It's just that now the pillars are kind of moving and the lasers are moving and my party is too stupid to not do that. <laughs> Honestly, so, that's a mood. As soon as something starts like moving and I have to understand a space, I'm like, no. <laughs> I just immediately shut down. So I'm just going to stand in the fire. <laughs> Th that would be me. This is why I could never be in a video game. I would just I say, Hawk, be dead. Be <laughs> <laughs> in the fire. There's fire here. Look hey. Out, there's lightning on these rocks. <laughs> um... God, this is a, it's a really dumb fight when you stop and think about it. Cause like I like it. There's fire pillars. Okay, here's the other thing that bothered me. We're just getting it all out there now. There's fire pillars, rotating fire pillars. Okay, that's all good. Uh, rocks that create a maze. You know, it's difficult to get away from the fire. Okay, Corypheus has a solid battle plan. He puts a lightning on the rocks to make it difficult to move between the rocks. Okay, all good. And then his last one for the frost is he starts dropping icicles from the ceiling. Like was Corypheus born in Minnesota? And he was like, oh yeah, that's deadly. Icicles hanging off the outcroppings of the ceiling. They could drop and hit anyone at any time. That's super scary. I I don't know. I was expecting something cooler with the ice and I thought that was very strange that he was just like, I'll drop ice cubes on their heads. Um, Corypheus is very cheesy, is what I'm trying to say. He's a, uh, Corypheus is canonically textually corny as fuck. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's like, so, he's like an old, he's like a super boomer that came back from the dead. He's like, he's like if a boomer also lived in an era where they got to own slaves. 
Yeah, I was going to say, like, he's he's a boomer who actually lived through, like, the racist times and still holds all those, like, super racist beliefs, too. Like, when he comes right out of the grave, the first thing he says is, like, oh, humans, you must be slaves. Take me to your masters. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> um, yeah, Corypheus is a whole other thing. Um, so we kill Corypheus, obviously. We stab that dude with the big old fancy key that we have put all the abilities in because we know how to exploit this game very well and um and we think that the day is saved and all is well all is well and good uh and we go talk to our friend Lorias who seems remarkably coherent all of a sudden and everything's super cool and he definitely doesn't have a weird smirk on his face and he's definitely not saying very foreboding things that any sane person would be like uh something's wrong with this dude we need i think we did something wrong here like he literally there's like a part where he's literally talking to hawk and he's like thank you so much for my freedom from this place and he like smiles and turns around and stuff and i was like oh my god how did none of these characters realize what just happened because they're stupid as fuck eric god hawk is so dumb everyone in hawk's party is like, so dumb but to be fair like i like that because like dragon age never characterizes hawk as being smart <laughs> hawk is like not like 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 no part of dragon age 2 do i look at him like hawk is smart in this scenario hawk is kind of a fucking idiot like actually, man no keep going sorry oh like like hawk is just like stupid as fuck and like so, like, why would they catch it? And, like, also their friends are, like, what? He's, like, a pirate and, like, an elf. Like, none of them would fucking know. Like, <laughs> uh, A dwarf who talks to his crossbow. Um, yeah, it's just, like, 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 Dragon Age 2 is truly just, like, fucking dumbass squad. <laughs> they are the, With the far too much deer. responsibility. I think that's what it is. I think I think Dragon Age Two is like the golden deer of the Dragon Age universe. Just like the absolute yeah. dumbos who managed oh. to end up saving the world. Absolutely, Hawk would totally wear Adidas slides, one hundred percent. Oh, I really like this headcanon now because I'm thinking back. Especially if you play sarcastic Hawk, I feel like that fits it so well. Where it's this hawk just keeps ending up in gradually escalating situations without <laughs> meaning to uh-oh guess i gotta fight the era shock <laughs> like oh i really i like this reading of dragon age 2 it's perfect it's very good yeah dragon age 2 is my favorite because it's just like what if a bunch of regular dumbasses had to deal with like an earth-shattering crisis <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's my man. favorite pitch for a video game I've ever heard. It's so good. I'm now realizing that describes. I don't know if you've seen the movie Attack the Block, but I was thinking about it again recently because John Boyega's been in the news recently, being awesome. I love John Boyega with with all my heart. Um, but the first time I saw him in a movie was not Star Wars. It was this movie that came out in, I think, 2011 called Attack the Block. And the entire setup of that movie is what if a bunch of, like, teenagers, you know, like, hoodlums and and scoundrels and stuff like that in, in Britain, in London, were the ones to stumble upon an alien invasion? Like, how would they react to that? How would they deal with 
an alien invasion. And that is literally is, this game, Eric. It's so good. That movie is so good. If you have never seen Attack the Block, I so highly recommend it because John Boyega is absolutely incredible in it. Um, and it's it's now suddenly I'm reminded of that movie here because that's that's what Dragon Age Two is. <laughs> what if a like it literally is like Hawk and dude Hawk and Carver get to Kirkwall and immediately get sold into black market indentured servitude. Like <laughs> they are just idiot criminals, like from the start. And and the worst part is you can be like totally down for it too. You're like, yeah, I want to do crimes. That sounds great. Let's go do crimes. Um, oh god! And one of your one of your companions literally builds a mirror that could open like a portal to hell, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's like totally down with it. Oh my god! Everyone in this game is a dumbass. <laughs> I will defend Meryl, but that's a different conversation that we don't have time for. Oh, um, but yeah, no, everybody in Dragon Age is fuck in Dragon Age. She was stupid as shit, and like just is having to deal with horrible, horrible circumstances so that they should wanna... not be responsible for. <laughs> I want to bounce this over to Ken because Ken, you uh, you made some intonations at the beginning of the podcast that that you have some takes around the whole end of this DLC, the Corypheus stuff. Mm. I want to hear it. Give it to me. So the time, being nine years ago, when I barely had a critical thinking mind, I didn't think much of a lot of the stuff that happened in, in Legacy in terms of, like, its wider ramifications, I guess. And that was obviously before, like, Inquisition came out, and we found out that Corypheus is the villain of that game, and that that was going to be, like, a whole... Sort of like the, the legacy was a continuation of something that was greater than we maybe realized at the time. Um, now that I am this many years removed, not only from Dragon Age 2, but also from Inquisition and Trespasser, and as Dragon Age 4 lingers somewhere in the future, probably further away than I even thought, like a week ago, because it didn't show anything other than like these brief flashes of it AEA play. Um, We're going to die before that game comes out. I am, I am confident <laughs> that you're absolutely right. So I'm going to be dead before Dragon Age 4 or Bayonetta 3. I know it. Oh, Bayonetta 3. Oh. God. At least yeah. I got The Last of Us. will be dead before that comes out. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, um, now that I'm, I'm noticing patterns of the series and, like, my kind of, like, biggest issues with the series, like, you know, to be as vague as possible for the people that are playing kind of along with us, Dragon Age Inquisition ends in a certain way that sets up a conflict for a future game and because it seems to be the Dragon Age way it is probably very likely that the main character of that game is going to be cast aside for a new one in the next game. Now that I've kind of seen that that as a pattern, like, I understand my issues with Dragon Age in, like, a more holistic way than I did maybe at the time, I realize that Legacy and Dragon Age Inquisition kind of do the same thing to Hawk, and in a way that I'm not super down with. Like, I mean, like, yes, I am very much attached to the Inquisitor as a character, um, but, like, now I'm just, like, imagining a version of Inquisition where Hawk got to be the main character and finish their own story. Because, you know, Hawk does have a role in Inquisition, and it is interesting in sort of the way that it plays with that changing perspective, but it also, like say this wasn't a video game where there wasn't choice and all that. Like, if you were, like, looking at, like, the next 
installment of a story, you are taking one character's story and handing it off to another. And that is my biggest problem with Dragon in general, is that, like, it treats a lot of its characters, specifically player ones, like they are these sort of things that are, can be very easily discarded, regardless of, like, what connection they have to whatever's happening at the time. And now that I'm at this point, like, I know there's no point in me huffing and puffing about it now, because it's over, that Dragon Age Inquisition came out, and I did get attached to that character, and was... I think it just, it just retroactively makes me feel worse for Hawk, and I thought the ways that that character went down in Inquisition were interesting at the time, maybe now I just feel like they... it feels more contrived than ever, and it's like, I just don't understand why Bioware thinks that is like a design story writing pillar of this franchise to just toss characters away before they get to finish what they were doing. See, I wish that they had, like, again, I really think that these games do need the, like, expansion bridge because I feel like the handoff from the Warden to Hawk is decent, especially if your Warden lives and you play through Awakening. Um, Mm. Like, I like the idea of, like, the camera shifting from one character to another. Right. But Inquisition doesn't have that moment. Like, the Inquisitor doesn't come into contact with Hawk until shit is already, like, has already massively hit the fan. Mm -hmm. And I think it would be so much more interesting if, like, Hawk was maybe not the player character, but was, like, a party member and was, like, a central, like, B-plot of that game. As opposed to, like, being part of, like, one quest arc in one act. Right. Um, because, like, yeah, I don't think that, like, Hawk got enough of a send-off. Whereas, like, the Warden, depending on if they live or not, like, you have the option to have more time with them. And, like, you know, kind of see what they were doing while Hawk is doing shit in Kirkwall. But, right. like, Hawk doesn't really get that chance with the Inquisitor. Right. It's just, like, not letting characters be around for, like, the conclusion of their own plots. Like, that just doesn't make sense to me. Like, mm-hmm. it's weird to me that, like, I guess history is now written that the Inquisitor and Corypheus are, like, you know, these two arch enemies, and when, really, Corypheus only was... Or, like, the Inquisitor only really kind of stumbles in to Corypheus' mm-hmm. field of view, where Hawk has this very significant, like, concrete, like, something you can point to tied to this character, and then he just kind of or he, he or she kind of just notes out, like, a third of the way through the game, and then you never hear from them again. Mm-hmm. And, like, so I'm already imagining a scenario in Dragon Age 4 where that happens with the Inquisitor, with the mystery other villain that is coming. It's just a frustrating thing. Like, I don't... It seems more convoluted from the outside looking in, like, thinking of, like, how they have to concoct some other way to have a new character that comes in, and then basically takes the story from one character to another, and it's... I'm sick of it. Like, I'm tired of it. And I just... And it's gonna happen again, because it is the way... It is the law of the land at this point. And... Fuck it. Fuck Dragon Age. I don't give a fuck. So, so I have... I have a few takes on, on, on this, and why they need to swap out characters. And mm. I'm gonna start it with this. What do you think the design of an rpg is like what do you think a character's growth in an rpg should look like and to me an rpg is always the story of an underdog becoming stronger right it's this character that starts out very weak 
and has destiny before them but they need to go on some sort of i mean we could like get really literature 101 and talk about the hero's journey and all that but i really don't want to do that so um but i bring this up because in every rpg the story is about this character that starts out small and grows into a larger character and so already you kind of have storytelling issues where okay let's say we go into dragon age 4 and you're still playing as the inquisitor is the inquisitor in a place where they would necessarily be going on all these in the field missions that could provide this on the ground perspective that you would want to have for all the events that are taking place like you have to think about how you craft that narrative around a character and that they could be this kind of character who is seeing all these things from the perspective you want them to be seen the way that commander shepherd is this you have like the magical catch-all of specter where you basically are a space cop with no rules and you can do whatever you want and shepherd can kind of show up anywhere and just be like well yeah i'm a specter so i can be here and even in mass effect 2 they end up blowing shepherd up <laughs> just so they can rebuild Shepard from ground zero and that was actually something I didn't like about Mass Effect 3 was that when I imported my Shepard I was already maxed out and I was just mowing down enemies like crazy and, and at first I was like oh yeah this is cool yeah my Shepard is super powerful and then halfway through it I was like wow this has made leveling and combat feel incredibly meaningless to me like I if I had one critique like one major critique about what I think is otherwise stellar combat in Mass Effect 3 it's that if you import a character you don't get that feeling of leveling up and getting a new ability that you you have in the other games because you kind of just do it all at the beginning and you get to start out like super power level already and there's really no curve there to feel rewarding so that's like the gameplay reason why i think that stuff shifts but i think narrative for dragon age we've talked about it before but dragon age is like a world and it's a world that takes place over larger spans of time and even though mass effect is on a galactic scale its conflict is very centered on the idea of the reapers whereas dragon age kind of shifts its conflicts over time and goes to different places and, and locales and in the same way that mass effect does you know like they do the genophage they do the the geth and the the Corians, but and i'm only just now realizing that Corians and canari are like the same letters just rearranged i don't know if there's anything there but that just like popped into my mind real quick <laughs> um but i was like the same way that they do the corians and the geth they do the canari and kirkwall um that's gonna bother me for a really long time now um <laughs> eric's just like quietly breaking out his conspiracy theory board <laughs> it really is like all, all of a sudden in my mind i'm like did i just unlock something somewhere like is there a bioware person like who's gonna listen to this podcast and be like we have to silence him can't, they can't know um that we reuse that name <laughs> um but narrative wise like i almost like the fact they shifted around because i think it gives their evils a little bit more weight like corypheus is not something that just hawk can solve and even then hawk is not defined by corypheus hawk is defined by what hawk does and you could say that the air shock is as much hawk's antagonist as corypheus is and so even though hawk has a very literal blood tie to the way that corypheus is contained and the way that corypheus ultimately as we find out gets out um 
you still have this situation where it's like yeah Corypheus is a freaking like he's basically an old god like he is a strong being that has been moving things in the background for a long time and and hawk does not operate on the scale that is needed to counter Corypheus. it's like i i know you're gonna hate me for bringing in this analogy ken but it's like the difference between when batman fights a villain and when the justice league has to fight a villain you know like yeah but i think eric with that tie though i think that hawk should have been like a much bigger presence in the game i can agree on that much that i once we get into dragon age inquisition we are going to talk about that i definitely feel that hawk does not get their due i also think the thing that's hard about hawk specifically is like they're sandwiched in between two characters that are a lot more customizable because like the warden and the inquisitor can both be a varying race they can be a varying skin tone like appearance they can be like fucking you know like all kinds of different shit whereas like hawk is pretty much the like one of three people essentially like which personality are you choosing when you're choosing dialogue options mm-hmm. um it's either that and then they're like mage rogue warrior dude or or like a lady they're a human like that's just it so like i feel like hawk is like more of a character and so then like to have them have that really strong tie and then go into inquisition and they're like it feels like their character is downsized a lot yeah. which is really hard like yeah yeah considering that like i feel like it's so much easier to be attached to hawk yeah and i just think like all that like even in terms of scale like if things are changing i don't think bioware has figured out how to make like and we've talked about this before like dragon age thinks it's one thing like it thinks that it is like this the world is the star but they keep having these ties to people in ways that they so constantly just like toss aside like oh you know this 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 conflict has ties to hawk but you know it's bigger than him so like let's let other people do it instead not like in addition to like not like hawk has become you know like has a new party of people that kind of like operate on that scale hawk just gets sidelined like there's a scenario where hawk can die in this whole thing Mm -hmm. in the service of another character that stumbled upon this conflict and that's I can't imagine a scenario in a Dragon Age 4 where there's a character that they can make, they, they can convince, can make a convincing tie to the mystery villain. I just, they've never given me any reason to, like, have any faith that they can do that, and it, they don't have to. Like, the, it, they, they, you have to come up with so many other, like, contrived reasonings behind why they decide to go the other way. And I just, I'm... I'm exhausted by it. I'm so bored of it. And maybe I don't care about Dragon Age 4 anymore. I don't know. (laughs) I think my, my larger question there is like, if let's like a hypothetical, if Dragon Age 4 starred a new character, but the Inquisitor still played a major role, like let's say like a Leliana role or a, even a Varric role to, to the new character, but you had this new character who was sort of leading the charge and what the story would be would that still work for you or do you do you really I mean, feel like the inquisitor needs to to be the one to close this out because so i think there are yeah. certain situations in inquisition specifically if you play as certain characters where it really does feel like that character should be the one that gets their 
their win over the villain that is seemingly right. being set up for Dragon Age Four. I think no I matter do... what. Mm. Ooh, go ahead, Ken. Sorry. I think no matter what they do, if there's not a scenario, like like say that the Inquisitor gets to be like sort of the advisor or like even a party member, my question is like, why am I just not playing as that dude? Like, why am I like, why did you have to like contrive a reasoning for me to play as literally anybody else when like the setup is there? Like the in any other franchise, Trespasser would have been so blatantly setting up a very specific conflict, but because we are in Dragon Age where nothing matters and characters are disposable. It, it just puts this giant question mark over it that I'm... I do like... My main thing with the Inquisitor, I like that there are parts of Trespasser that imply, like, that the Inquisitor's just fucking done. Like... You know, like, after every, like, I, like, because that's the one thing about Dragon Age that I think, like, having one character mainlining it, it just couldn't, it could, it would have to be, like, yeah, like, a Mass Effect-style story. It would have to be a lot more zoomed in, just because, like, after everything that fucking happens, like, yeah, how could you not hand it off to somebody else? And, like, I, I like the idea of, like, the Inquisitor kind of fell into this, and then at the end they're like, nah, I'm fucking done here. Like, I'm good. <laughs> um, But it's, again, like, it's one of the things that makes it hard, because, like, when Bioware gives so many, like, choices and, like, has so many things that could or couldn't be canon, like, it's hard to know what things actually, like, what the implications of things actually are going to end up being. So... I think the thing I come back to, and let me loop this back around to Hawk because we are ostensibly talking about Dragon Age 2. Um, <laughs> we kind of got into Trespasser talk there by accident, even though I feel like it is thematically impro- appropriate. But um, one of the storytelling beats that I've seen more often in games recently that has been really satisfying to me has been companies willing to let their character kind of ride off into the sunset and the two things i think of are like the yakuza series with uh kiryu kazuma and especially this the witcher series and the way they let Geralt have an ending in in blood and wine um that's like something i want to see for one of my bioware characters is not necessarily like they have to make this big decision that ultimately ends in their death or you know they have to keep carrying on until their you know their body has to be broken because nothing else narratively makes sense like let let my shepherd let my hawk retire like Geralt did and just kind of find a villa somewhere out in rural country and say I'm hanging up my daggers it's time for somebody else to carry the mantle and that I think that opens up so many storytelling possibilities because now you're not operating on that scale. You can have, you can even have this character where you have this moment where what I wish Inquisition would have done, which again, we are just treading all over content there. That's going to be an Inquisition. But, Sorry. Uh, no, it's, I think this is an interesting discussion. So that's why I'm, that's why it's continuing. But um, having that sort of thing where you can kind of go back to these characters, uh, and kind of see how they've grown but also see that like passing of the torch and that way that the old guard is saying it's not our fight anymore it's their fight um i think there are series and 
a lot of like really good like long-running fantasy series like avatar comes to mind and things like that where they're able to do that and show that passing of the torch between generations and it it creates this like feeling of growing with the series over time and and understanding as characters coming in and out that each one has their own time and things to contribute and it's time for someone new to come in and i think that's like a cool thing that dragon age can do because it is not centered and it's something that if andromeda was to continue i would want to see eventually too is this idea that andromeda is the passing of the torch in some ways and we get to see this narrative continue from a new perspective so that's that's how i feel about it i also just want to see hawk happy you know i want my hawk to be happy <laughs> i want to see hawk retire to a villa in the countryside with meryl and her creepy mirror and and, <laughs> and all the the her sick pirate friends and annoying annoying mage friends who comes around every now and then just to yell about something that he saw on facebook um i, I want them all there i want them all there uh <laughs> we'll finish that just... hey eric did you know there's a thing called fan fiction <laughs> i'm just gonna this is how i end up on a look i have written fan fiction in the past it's you can't find it anymore <laughs> i mean i'm not saying you have to write it i'm just saying i'm sure someone has written this i know you know maybe that's just where i'm gonna have to go now that's i after this podcast ends i'm gonna head over to, to ao3 and just get what i'm looking for there yeah but, just fucking put in that fluff tag and you know what if that if it doesn't exist i'll just write it damn it <laughs> um, <laughs> hawk gets a happy ending one way or another um <laughs> I think that about does it for Legacy. I mean, so we talked about Corypheus and, and the really silly way that they foreshadow the fact that Corypheus kind of walks off in the body of whoever you saved and that kind of sets up the uh, the little, I guess, when it sets up Dragon Age Inquisition, really, but there's kind of a lot of gaps in there anyways. But um, And we get a little interesting scene at the end I just wanted to shout out real mm. quick um where after we talk with our sibling and kind of talk about you know wow that was what a wild thing wasn't that wild let's talk about that a bit we get to see leandra and like the ghost of leandra talking Mm. to hawk um and ken you and i Mm. had a moment last episode where you're talking about how we had very mixed emotions on the way that leandra uh dies in dragon age 2 and the way that they kind of close that story off this having played dragon age 2 before and now having finally played dragon age legacy i wish this scene was in the dragon age 2 base game at Mm -hmm. some point because that was what i was looking for for closure with that character was like that was so good that was really really good (laughs) like that was maybe one of my favorite cutscenes in Dragon Age 2 yet, was it just felt, it was not something that was plot critical, it was solely something for like closure on a character and on an emotional beat for Hawk, and it just felt very well done, very well timed, it was very, very good. Yeah, it was part of the reason why I wanted to do it at, during Act 3 for the show, just because we could have that version of it, because like, otherwise, you know, if she's alive, you know, you just have a conversation with her, it's normal. What I, what I oh, did God, like really? about... Yeah, and but what I did like about it in this particular <laughs> scenario is that, uh, you know, you have the conversation with her ghost, and then, like, the camera pans just right, and then she's gone, and then Hawk is mm-hmm. just alone. And I was like, 
Yes, that is the sad boy shit I am here for. <laughs> it's really good. Like yeah. I just I don't know what else to say about it. It was like to the point that I'm like, yeah, you should always play that after Act Two because otherwise it seems really strange if it's just like, oh, mom was hanging out here too. Hey, mom, let's talk by the fireplace a little bit. Yeah. <sighs> I'm also now looking at the Discord chat and seeing that there is a Bop It wiki. And I know what I'm doing tonight. But <laughs> <laughs> what everyone else is doing tonight is listening to more Normandy FM. Because as you know, we have a Patreon. Patreon.com slash Normandy FM where you can support us. Listen to all of our podcasts. So if you want to go back and re-listen to those old podcasts, you can do just that. I recommend it highly. Uh, you can also support us where you help keep the lights on by contributing to our Patreon. Uh, as always, we have a number of wonderful Patreon sponsors that we shout out every week because i totally remember to pull that list up i'm definitely not ramping for time at this very moment (laughs) trying to pull up the list of contributors who have contributed at a certain level and they are kevin kulikowski chris johns alice hawk colin just colin just reds and just thank you all so much we'd love to have you all contributing y'all got us to the point where we're going to do jade empire I'm so jazzed. I'm excited. I'm actually really excited to play that game, even though it's going to be 2021 when we're actually talking about it. That's how far out this Dragon Age schedule is taking us. But uh, once we get there, we're going to play it. We're going to have a good time. And also, we're looking ahead. So if y'all want to contribute and get us up to those higher tiers where we play some KOTOR, where we even play maybe a game that y'all vote on, please don't make us play Greedfall. (laughs) I feel like I need to say that every time. Greedfall fucking sucks. I really don't want to play Greedfall. I don't want to dissect Greedfall. Di- <laughs> I don't Greed- want to. Like, I already dissected Greedfall. It fucking sucks. I don't sucks. want to go back through that again. Yeah, I already, like, we wrote reviews of it already. We went through this once. Don't make me go through it again. Pick a different game. Hey, maybe Bald- Baldur's Gate 3 will probably be out by the time we get there if, if we hit all of our tiers and all that. So pick Baldur's Gate 3 because that game looks way cooler and more interesting there was like a sexy demon man who made you offers and gave you pie and stuff so like i'm cool with that game that seems all right yeah i Uh, have a big eyes emoji at that game right now it it looks it looks really good it's it's it looks so good that i'm actually sitting here like maybe i should play divinity original sin 2 maybe i should just finally get into that game i'm like so i'm on the the edge i mean what else are you doing true we were talking about this before the podcast started i don't have many other video games to play right now because i'm not playing the sadness game so maybe i will play the role-playing game that eats all of my life um if you don't want to sorry what was that ken final fantasy 14 final fantasy 14 oh god don't please don't no i can't so that's the deep end um if you don't want to contribute to the patreon you can always head over to twitter.com slash show where you can just follow along with all of our silly silly tweets and all of our episodes that we post up every week caitlin where can the people find you uh you can find me on twitter at cg and rs and over on uppercutcrit.com heck yes go to uppercut crit is the best we love it it's great always on patreon over there here. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, that's going to do it. Next week, uh, we actually have another... We're finally just going to have Ken and I by ourselves as we 
do some main quests i guess in act three we're actually going to do like some main quests again it's not companion week or anything like that we are doing on the loose and best serve cold which i believe are kind of some additional quests that will build up to where act three is eventually heading this is the part where it's really weird because chronologically i would have played this the most recently of dragon age 2 yet i feel it's the part of the game that i remember the least about because by this point a lot of the areas were starting to blend together like the combat areas and stuff mm -hmm. and so i remember the story beats very well but all the actual like missions in between the major story beats i just don't have memory of right. so it'll be fun it's like i'm rediscovering the game all over again just <laughs> like we do every week here on normandy fm so for Kaylin, for Ken, for myself, thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time on Normandy We have watched and waited 